Some days are terrible. You wish that you were dead, and some days are magical, like great banana bread. Someday we'll be friends with the voices in our heads. The voices in our heads. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the voices in our buttholes. I mean, heads. Congrats on not killing yourself. I'm your trusty host, Christina Marie Hutchinson, and I'm feeling depressed. I'm very, I'm depressed. Yesterday I was depressed, and then today I woke up depressed, and I was like, oh, I see I'm still depressed. Well, I'm just going to eat shit for breakfast, so I had an almond milk chai, and it's filled with fucking sugar, y'all, and I know that, and then I had a poppy seed bagel with butter, and I just consumed sugar and butter and bread today. And that, did that make my depression better? <laughs> no. no, it didn't. Okay, it didn't. It made it worse. But did I kind of want to make it worse? Kind of, yeah. I don't know. I haven't been, de- I haven't been bummed in a while. That's what I call depression. <laughs> the bum bums. <laughs> I just can't get off my goddamn ass. You ever have that day where you just can't get off your goddamn ass? I want to. I don't even want to. I don't know. I'm trying to figure out what it is because I'm all self-aware and shit. So this episode, I'm going to be, I'll talk about a few things, but I'm going to read your emails about mystical experiences because I'm just trying to improve my own mood. And then if it improves your mood too, sick. I, I can't tell... I went away with my friend Donna this past weekend. It was wonderful. We got there and we're both, Donna and I are both pretty spiritual and we're kind of discovering these things together. Um, past life, like just meditation and all mystical shit, you know? And I still take everything with a grain of salt. But when I experience something, I'm like, that shit wasn't fake. You know what I'm saying? So we're both we're just both very open people. And I think we're both powerful in that in that sense of like being like magical as shit or whatever. Hold on, I need some water because I'm so sad. My throat's dry. So I knew it was going to be a great weekend and I needed to get the fuck out of the city. And the night before. Well, let me tell you this story. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. The night before. I went to get dinner with my friend Vaughn, who I love and adore. Um, if you haven't checked out, wait, what's it called? Killing Ain't Easy? I think it is. Killing Ain't Easy. Um, Killing Ain't Easy with Patrice O'Neill. Killing Ain't Easy. Yes, that's is that the name of the documentary? Hold on. Let me, let me, Patrice O'Neill documentary. I just want to make sure I get the title right. And I didn't look it up beforehand because I'm depressed. <laughs> uh, killing is easy. Killing is easy. Never mind. Quite the opposite of what I thought it was. Killing is easy. It's a Patrice o- O'Neill documentary. Patrice O'Neill uh, was a wonderful stand-up comedian. And um, my friend Vaughn's partner for 10 years. They were they were lovers and romantic. They were boyfriend-girlfriend for 10 years. And he passed away before they were supposed to get married. And uh, she's dealt with a lot of just in terms of losing a loved one, but then getting shit on the Internet for it. It's just people are so weird, man. The trolls. 
just they are so sad inside and they hate themselves and they just they're dedicated to making others feel the same way and her experiences with the trolls have been horrendous and so i'm proud of her for releasing this documentary took a lot of emotional energy and just a lot of work she's executive producer because she's a bad bitch so check out that documentary i was meeting her for dinner um and i was like can we go out somewhere fancy i'm taking you out to dinner as a congratulations on working your ass off on this documentary i'm so goddamn proud of you vaughn so we went to dinner right so i'm i get out of the uber to go up to the restaurant and I see a young woman on the phone in like a cute outfit because this place is fancy as fuck and then she starts falling over and I was like uh-oh and you know without thinking you girl mad clutch in an emergency situation I've I've called 911 on many strangers in my life not because I'm a Karen racist bitch it's because people need medical attention and I realize I need to point that part out that's a very important part I'm not, I'm not, I'm not calling, I'm not calling for anything other than a medical emergency because that's what they should be called for. Or if someone's like pointing a gun at you. But, um, but yeah, so I called, well, first the lady was falling over and I knew right away, I'm like, she's, I think she's having a seizure. And I, I reach out my arms, I run up to her, I reach out my arms and there's this woman walking, uh, by this older woman, maybe in her sixties. And she's like, uh oh, she like looked at the girl and she's like, oh no. And then I, I, I caught her in my arms like a goddamn Prince Charming. And I was like, this would be romantic if it was a guy. Um, so, but she's also having a seizure. So no romance at all. However, I did catch her in my arms and I, and I like kind of gently sat her on the sidewalk and I said, Hey girl. How are you? My name's Christina. I have my mask on. And I was like, are, what, uh, do you have a medical, do you have a history of medical issues? And she said, yes. She was kind of in and out of consciousness. And I, she told me she had seizure disorder. And she said, I have about one seizure a year. I'm like, well, good news. It's February. You get in your 2021 seizure out early. Hell yeah. I'm going to call 911. Is that cool? And then she passed out again. So I was like, okay, yep, definitely call 911. And I'm holding her in my arms and I'm calling. And and then in the middle of calling, I'm telling her where the operator where we're at. They're patching me through to an EMT so I could tell them exactly what I'm seeing, all this girl, like what the symptoms are. And then she wakes up and she goes, oh my God, don't call 911. It's okay. I'm okay. I'm okay. And I was like, are you sure? And she's like, yes, please don't call. And I go, okay. And I said, she says she cool. So I guess see you later. And then the woman was like, wait, but, and I, and I hung up and I, I realized I shouldn't have hung up. And then I looked at her, she passed out again. So I was like, oh, call 911 back. And then I called 911. I go, hey girl, it's me. That girl who caught the passed out girl. Okay. So she passed out again. So let's just definitely come and patch me through to the EMT again. EMT guy was like, what's going on? She got a headache. Is she sweating? I'm like, she, her skin looks gray. She's mad sweaty and she's in and out of consciousness. She told me she has seizure disorder. So that's what it is. Is there anything I can do? The dude said, don't give her food or water. And I said, copy that, sir. I got nothing on me except bubble gum. So then she wakes up again while I'm on the phone with 911. She goes, no, don't call 911. I'm like, girl girl you just go i got this okay i got this and then i'm thinking to myself because this is america am i about to get a you know am i gonna rack up this poor girl's uh health insurance if she doesn't have health insurance is she gonna have to spend the rest of her days paying off this this ambulance bill if i call an ambulance so as i'm called 911 the second time and we're talking we're talking girl wakes up don't call and i'm like yeah i'm 
just I got this, okay? And the woman on the other end of 911 said, hey, look, we're going to send an ambulance. They can just check her vitals. She don't got to go in the ambulance. That part's free. And I'm like, ooh, how un-American of you. You got to check her heart rate for free? What are we, in Canada? This is my last word. No! Oh, we're in America. Okay, cool, just checking. But yeah, come on down, y'all. This girl's passed out on the street. And then her friend was in the restaurant. And then I told Vaughn, I was like, hey, caught a girl outside having a seizure. I'll be in real quick. And then Vaughn comes out and she's like, hey. <laughs> and uh, and we're all like trying to, you know, give her good vibes. Because the last thing you want to do when someone's in and out of consciousness is stress them out. And when she she kept apologizing, she kept saying, I'm so sorry. I'm like, hey, it's OK. It's OK. And I, I started to get mad. I'm like, women need to stop apologizing. And then I was like, Christina, this is not the time to school her. Just fucking let her be. She's probably not in the right headspace. Who gives a shit if she's apologizing? <laughs> oh, God. So many voices in my head at all times. It's very exhausting. And the ones in my head today are sad. So anyway, yeah, I ended up calling 911 um, yeah, the second time, got through. And they took a while to come. And I was like, but maybe it felt like a while, you know? Maybe it felt like years because... I just wanted to go inside and eat because honestly, I had not eaten all damn day and I love eating dinner when I'm starving because I eat the whole meal. Otherwise, I just eat like a bird. So, yeah, I caught her. We were chilling outside for about 20 minutes. Then we went inside and, you know, had a lovely dinner and I think she was okay. The ambulance came. Her friend from the restaurant came out and her friend was slapping her face and I was like, "Ooh, I don't know. You know, not in like a fuck you way, but in a hey, wake up way because she was in and out of consciousness. But I was like, you know, she's probably going to wake back up. I don't think the slapping the face is going to help. But I didn't say anything because that girl knew her. I didn't, you know. But then Vaughn was like, hey, maybe you should not do that. And I was like, yeah, right. I don't know if the hitting is going to work. She wasn't doing it in a she was she was scared, which I get it. I've seen I've seen people have seizures before. It's ter- the first couple times I saw a person have a seizure. I thought they were dead. Thought they were dying. It was fi- and I screamed. I screamed like I was in a goddamn haunted house. That didn't help the situation. Um, <laughs> so I'm getting a lot better at catching strangers on the streets of New York while they're having seizures. I'm just way less reactive. If you're gonna have a seizure and a stranger's gonna catch you, girl. Or boy, or they, or them. You want me to catch you, okay? Because I'm gonna be chill as hell. I'm gonna call nine one one right away. And now, for my the next time I catch a person doing a seizure, having a seizure, I'm not gonna listen to them when they say don't call nine one one because now I know that the ambulance can come and check your heart rate and your vitals for free. So that's good. That's really good. Oh, uh, so I went and I went to Donna and I went to the woods. She picked me up Thursday morning and I was in the midst of a period from hell that's happening to me a lot lately. And I think it's just God saying, why isn't your womb being used? And I'm like, God, I don't think I want a kid. Maybe I'll just adopt, you know? And then God's like, "Mm, fuck you, Christina. I'm like, "Okay, sorry. So the car ride up to the woods, to the snowy mountains was, uh, it was a it was a rough one because I was so nauseous. It felt like a hangover, like a really bad hangover. Um, but I had not drinking any alcohol. Oh no, I had one cocktail the night before dinner. That was, it was, but it was nothing. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't hungover. It was my period. Uh, 
And I, if I feel pain, I will express it fully and 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 extraly. So I had to have Donna pull over once for, so I could barf on the side of the road. And I was like, this is going to be a great trip. Honestly, the first five hours of day one for me, it's hell. But then after that, I'm going to be great. And I was. We get to the place that we had reserved a two-bedroom room in. And I say that because that's an important part of the story, okay? We wanted a two-bedroom suite. It was very important. I am bougie about some things because I have money now and I can be. I'm not bougie about a lot of things. I don't do brand name purses or whatever. I don't really give a shit. Fancy sunglasses. I'm going to lose them in the ocean. I'll just buy a fucking $10 pair. You know what I'm saying? But some things I'm bougie about. And one of those things is hotels. Okay. Once you stay in a nice hotel once, you never want to go back. And you're like, and that's good motivation to keep making some money. Because you're like, I will never again say stay in a Motel 8 or a Best Western or a La Quita Inn. I will never stay there ever again. Because one time I stayed in a La Quita Inn and there was blood stains on the sheets. And I was like, this is like hack at this point. Can I get another room, please? So we booked a two-bedroom suite. With the, with the way this hotel was laid out, there was only one two-bedroom suite, I guess. Everything else, they had these, um, the best way I could describe it is, is glamping. Glamping is glamorous camping, if you don't know. If you don't know, you're fucking little, oh my god, you don't glamp, idiot. <laughs> uh, yeah, so glamping is, so they had these triangle wooden tents, is the best way I could describe them. It looked like a little, okay, this is the shape, the exact shape that it was, was a horse trailer. You know, when you, a singular horse trailer, when you see a truck towing a horse on a road, but it's just one horse in it, and the trailer's only meant for one horse. That was the size of this thing. This glamp thing. Because I got a text message from a hotel that morning. I said, oh, we're excited to have you. Here's the directions. When you get to the property, this is how you get to your room. And I was like, woohoo. And then I, you know, threw up a bunch along the way. But I was like, Donna, this is going to be great. We get there and we realize that the directions they gave me were to one of those horse trailers. And I was like, that's not a two bedroom suite, huh? Okay. Let's go back down to that main office and give them a piece of our mind. You know, when you book something real far in advance and you do all the things, you just want it, you want it to work out like you planned. The woman double booked the two bedroom suite. There was somebody already in it. And I was like, well, that stinks, doesn't it? <laughs> just been uh, barfing all the way and perioding all the way up to the mountains and to get to this glamping wooden horse trailer and I was, that had a space heater in it. So we went to the thing and we're like, OK, we got to figure out some new arrangements for where we're going to sleep, huh? Donna and I called probably about 75 hotels within a hundred mile radius. They're all booked. Okay. They're all, they were all booked. We called every single one in this glamping tent power. There was a space heater in it that kind of worked, but boy, this, oh, it was bad. We're like, we can't stay here. And Donna even said, she's like, yeah, we're not fucking. We, there, we, this place is not for two people. I'm like, yeah, right. Couldn't get anybody. She goes down to the hotel main office. And I was like, you do it. You're from Jersey. You could speak your mind and not feel bad about it afterwards. You go. 
And Donna said to the woman, like, we're not fucking. We need a big room. We need a two bedroom room. And then I was like, well, okay, because, you know, I'm trying to always patch everything over. I don't want anybody to feel bad or mad or sad at any time, especially if it's my doing. So I was like, well, you know, I just want, you know, we planned this in advance and the space was integral to the trip. Do you know what I'm saying? And the woman was like, sorry, can't do anything about it. And we're like, oh, okay. So we went back to our wooden thing and then we, we had to go get dinner. We were going to go get dinner. We had reservations. So on the way to dinner, I said, let me just call this one place. I don't know where the fuck I got the information from, if it was from one of the other places I called. Anyway, I called this woman. And I go, hey, lady, how you doing? Cool. Uh, do you have any rooms available? And then immediately she goes, no. Uh, oh, wait, maybe. Uh, One second. And I was like, oh, please, God. I prayed hard. And I don't really pray. Well, I guess I do lately because I've been sad. Um, but I was like, please, Jesus, Lord, or whoever, spirit guides, someone, Beyonce, somebody please help us get a, a nice place. Because we wanted to go live and we wanted to like work on our projects together and we wanted to write and we wanted to make you video. You know what I mean? We wanted to flex on the goddamn gram and we can't do that in a glamping horse stable with a space heater. Okay. So this woman goes, let me call you right back. And I go, okay, well, before you do that, I have a dog. He's a emotional support animal. I couldn't say registered service dog because it's not, I don't have seizures. Or uh, 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 an illness that would require me to, because so that I didn't want to, I didn't want to lie, you know. I wanted to lie, but I didn't. Um, and she goes, "Oh, okay." And she sounded like that would have been a deterrent. And I'm like, "Damn it! Well, can you just please?" And I explain the situation. And then she calls me back, and she goes, "We got you. We have a cottage, a corner cottage that's available. You can bring your dog. Uh, there's like an additional pet fee." I'm like, "Oh my god!" So we booked this new place at, at night on Thursday, ate dinner, went back to the glamp. Got all our shit and went to this cottage. And it was just, it was it was in Woodstock. It was wonderful. So the first day was a little rocky, but God damn it was the rest of the trip fucking great. It was great. But then I got emails from my, 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 my mother and it, I didn't read them until I was on my way back. And it made me cry a lot. And I was like, well, God damn it. You know, I, the, all the old feelings are coming back up. Like old feelings of that I had before I worked on myself. Like that I have had my whole life. And I'm like, oh, I've done the work. So I should never feel these again, right? Right? No! Oh, wrong. Okay, cool. Good to know. Good to know. Damn it. So I got real sad on the way back. And I cried a lot. And then I cried all day, all day Sunday. And then I rich, kept emailing me. And I was reading some of them. And I'm like, this sucks. I'm just going to go into a corner and just my heart's gonna die for a second and then I'm gonna come back so yeah Ugh. you know when you you're doing work on yourself you got to feel you're going to get the sads again. You will get the and I know this about myself. I will be sad and I will fall into these depression comas, you know, again and you know for the rest of my life, I will experience ups and downs and highs and lows and neutral and nature and barfing on the side of the road because my period's so bad. And, you know, you got to experience all this stuff again. So it wasn't like I felt like I went backwards in pro progress, but it, and, it, and it's certainly a lighter version of the depression comas I used to be in. But boy, do I got the sads, huh? Mm-mm-mm. 
I wrote down all these notes for things I wanted to talk about on this episode and I'm just going to, you know, they're all, they're bullet points for, for me to talk about and kind of go on a little tangent about, uh, but I don't feel like doing them, but here's some of the bullet points I wrote down. Watch Inside Out on Disney. (laughs) I'm going to give you a depressed review of what I wanted to talk about. (sighs) If you have Disney, there's this animated movie called Inside Out that like talks about emotions and stuff. You should watch it. Damn, Shaq has a lot of endorsement deals. Good for him. He reps car insurance and prank printer ink cartridges. All right, that's those are my depressed topics. I'll go in more to more detail on those on another episode. Fox. Okay, let me just say this before I read your emails. This will be a nice short episode where I'll be entertained, you'll be entertained. I'm gonna read about your mystical experiences and go ooh ah. I'm going to get through this. I used to sing that to myself. You know that song by Daniel Bedingfield? Like whenever I was in a tough spot, emotionally or whatever, I would sing that. I got to get through this. I got to get through this. I got to get, got to make, got to make it through. Said I'm going to get through this. I'm going to get through this. Uh, I'm going to though. So are you. Congrats on not killing yourself. Um, This is what I wanted to, one thing I want to mention before I get into emails Fox News has kidnapped my parents okay and I know I'm not the only person what the fucking shit is going on can somebody please explain this because this is beyond man parents just don't understand no because some of y'all have beautiful relationships with your parents so what the fuck it's not a parents thing But I will say, what the fuck is Fox News doing to some of our parents? If you are listening out there and Fox News has fucked up your parents, I don't know. I I mean, you can email me about it. If if there's anything that you've noticed, maybe. What the fuck is happening? Tucker, Tucker Carlson is like the biggest turd on the planet. And yet he's stoking fear into the minds of our parents so that we get called a liptard snowflake anytime we think that human beings should be treated 100% equally and not be, you know, shot at, not be pushed in the streets, not be spoken down to, you know, just equality. Equality should not be political. But somehow this quote-unquote news organization has politicized equality, which I guess has been happening since the goddamn dawn of time. But their whole us versus them circle jerk is getting real old, okay? It's getting real old for me. Where is the humanity? It went away. I mean, I can't even... I don't even... Fox News can suck my goddamn dick. I hate it. I hate it because... Because it really seems like, and again, you girls are predictor of trends, predict rollerblades, start talking about childhood trauma. Now we're all talking about childhood trauma, which is a great fucking thing. I'm not saying it's because of me. I'm just saying I'm a little psychic. What the fuck is Fox News doing? Some of their programs, did you know this? They have a disclaimer on the very bottom in in tiny little print that ain't no one going to read because you know if you're watching Fox News, you don't see well. Okay. And they say 
that the, the views expressed by the host of this program are not factual. Well, hey, how about, hey, Grandpa, how about you make that font size a little bigger so all of our parents who watch Fox News can read it? What the fuck? It, 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 it's making my parents think in a way, and I, I, I'm sure it's not just Fox News, but I'm noticing, because I, I tweeted about it the other day. I was like, hey, if Fox News has kidnapped your parents, say yeah. And all these people were like, yeah, but it sucks. I'm like, well, yeah, it sucks. I'm a comedian. I'm just trying to laugh at the truth, you know. What are they doing? What is happening? Like, oh, my God. Black Lives Matter is not political. I repeat, Black Lives Matter is not political. Jesus Christ. Like the fear that the the shows on this network have stoked up in our parents, in mainly white Republican parents, is 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 wild to me, dude. It's wild. And I got to. I don't I don't want I'm like part of me wants to start watching it to go what the fuck is happening here what's happening you know but I don't want to give them ratings <laughs> I just want to know what they're doing because man it's like it's 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 wild because before Fox News if you would have said hey Black Lives Matter to some of these Republican white parents. You'd be, of course, yeah, they do. Okay, well, right, they do. They're not. It's not. We're not treating black people equally, and it's white people's fault. Okay, it's white people's fault because we're the racist ones, and some of us are real dedicated to destroying the peace of others because of the color of their skin. Can we knock that shit off? How about we knock that shit off? It's not political. It's just human decency. Okay, it's being a good person, bare minimum good person by the way I just I just I just don't know it really it's infiltrated the way I'm witnessing parents speak to their kids I I just I don't know what to do but I want to bitch about it publicly on a microphone and yell into the void in hopes that maybe someone will have an explanation that they can email me or an article you can point me to I don't know but I want to get to the bottom of it. I, I really, it's it's a big problem. It's a big problem. Oh, God. I gotta get through this. I'm gonna get through this. I'm gonna, get, gonna, make, gonna make it through. I'm gonna make it through. Okay, let's read your emails, okay? If you want to email me, the email address is thevoicesinourheadspodcast at gmail.com. Okay? Next week, I probably won't be depressed. Wait, what? How is this? Hold on. I'm looking at all my emails. Okay, so let's get to your emails. The Voices in Our Heads podcast at gmail.com. These are some mystical experiences. Um, okay. You could keep emailing them to me if you experience them. A lot of people have been emailing me saying that I've, they've experienced things while I'm talking about the subject, which is so fucking cool. Because when I was reading Laura Lynn Jackson's books, I was the same thing was happening to me because you're bringing it into your awareness, your consciousness. It's coming more forward like this, this topic. And I really appreciate everybody uh, having an open mind because I think... A lot of people are very hesitant to talk about this shit. I don't give a shit if you like it or not. All I'm saying is give, have an open mind, right? 
Anything could be true. Anything could be false. You know? Death isn't real and time's fake. Let's get into it, guys. All right. Hello, Christina. Longtime fan and fucker here. I'm a bit transfixed with your current deep dive on the voices in our heads and coincidentally was taking a prolonged break. There's a backstory from surviving death on Netflix when I heard your first episode on the topic last week. I've taken a deeper interest in this work over the past couple of months, but have to take it in very small doses because of my own experience. The reality is often overwhelming for me. When you started reading accounts of communicating with loved ones after they die, I knew I had to reach out. I've shared this story with a handful of those closest to me, but realize now that part of my suppression and lack of interrogation for these experiences initially stemmed from deep, deep, rip your heart out. I'm definitely never coming back from this pain. Let me explain. My boyfriend of three and a half years was killed in a car accident in 2013. We were babies. He was 24 and I was 22. We met in the back row of Geometry Clash my freshman year of high school. He was popular, athletic, charming as hell, and always the funniest person in any room. I fell madly in love with him, and when he broke it off six-ish months later, I was devastated. We shared a palpable connection, and it was clear to anyone in our sphere. One of those situations where while we were broken up, everyone was always like, and you uh, you can say our names. Okay, cool. Oh, Bree and John, what the fuck are they? Uh, what the fuck are they doing? Those two belong together. We spent years apart, but ended getting back together after I moved away to college, about three hours from my hometown. I was home for the summer and still not over him, and we found our way back to each other. It was the best summer of my life. We spent the next three and a half years growing deeper in love. Oh, that sounds nice. Planning a future and working to finish our undergrad degrees. He ended up moving to the city. I was in to finish school. Our love was silly above everything. He could always make me laugh. This motherfucker once went into 7-Eleven on a dare, wearing my hot pink Spanx to buy beer. <laughs> that sounds fun. He enjoyed initially... He enjoyed initiating freestyle rap battles with strangers at parties and then only rapping about pot stickers and cats on a Project Pat cover. <laughs> this guy sounds fun. He was the friend everyone would call when they were in a bind because they knew he would drop anything. He was loyal to a fault, a true clown, and everyone in his life loved him deeply for his charisma and joie de vivre. I think I said that right. His last Facebook post just one day prior to the accident read simply, quote, Life is good, end quote. I lovingly call him basic now. The phrase wasn't so hack then. We truly cherished every moment together. He used to wrap me up in his big warm hugs and tell me I was made to fit right into his arms. Oh, I'm gonna cry. On January 25th, 2013, he left my house in the middle of the night. Happened every so often. He had terrible time sleeping and would often go home to try and get better rest and not disturb my sleep. Ironically, he fell asleep at the wheel before he had made it home. His car drifted across oncoming traffic and hit a steel telephone pole. He suffered extensive neurotrauma and debilitating injuries to both of his legs. He was life-flighted to a hospital in a bigger city where he had numerous surgeries to revive the pressure to relieve the pressure in his brain. He was intubated and would remain on a ventilator for 5 days while we prayed hoped, pleaded, and begged to any higher power that was listening that the swelling would go down in his brain. I never left his side. After five days, 
His intracranial pressure, inter, pressure was so high that the likelihood of return of any brain function at all was gone and he was declared brain dead. I was allowed to go into the operating room to be with him while he took his last breath prior to his organ donation. Side note, he was born with only one kidney, but it was unusually large. He used to call it his super kidney. I have to include one detail here that will be important later. I arrived at the hospital the night of the accident alone. His mom was phoned as his emergency contact and called and and called me to go as soon as I could. I was 10 minutes away and she was three hours without any information other than his critical condition. I didn't wake my roommate and flew out of the house for the sake of time. When I arrived, the nurses gave me his patient belongings bag, which contained his clothes and his wallet. Later, John's uncle volunteered to go to the junkyard where his car had been taken to obtain the rest of his belongings. I remember his mom calling after their return and asking if I had his wallet. Nobody had a- nobody had asked me leading up to this point, and I froze in panic. Without thinking, I lied. I wanted to keep it. His wallet felt like such an intimate part of him, and I was afraid if I told her I had it, she would want it. She didn't question it. At this point, his best friend had been back to his house and brought a lot of his clothes and other belongings to our hometown upon his mother and my request in an attempt to feel near to him. She assumed maybe one of his friends had it or it was still at his apartment. I never told a soul that I had lied to her and I kept his wallet hidden away among his other cherished belongings that I would frequently sort through to feel close to him. I don't remember much from the days and weeks that followed his death. I was taken to my parents' house and I don't believe I emerged from my childhood bedroom for about a week for about a week. My best friend was on an internship in India at the time and flew home to be with me. She forced me to drink green Adawala juice. I still to this day cannot even look at it because I could not eat without getting physically sick for days. The first thing I ate after the involuntary hunger strike was a dove chocolate. My mom always had a bowl of candy in the kitchen counter, and after wandering out of my bedroom for the first time, everyone stared at me in disbelief, like, quote, don't we, don't move, we might scare her back in. I reached for a chocolate, ate it, rolled the wrapper into a tiny ball, and threw it in the trash. Having had enough activity for my first emergence, I drifted back down the hallway. You have spoken about the knowing when a loved one is trying to communicate with you. This is the first time I felt it, and it hit me like a brick wall. Something told me with authority I had to read the cheesy phrase on the inside of that wrapper. I found myself suddenly back in the kitchen, digging through the trash for the balled-up wrapper. I was throwing garbage behind me, and my poor parents were probably watching in horror like, oh, God, we've lost her. I found the foil at the bottom of the bin and unwrapped it trembling. It simply read, life is good. (sighs) Damn. Damn, damn, damn. That's what he wrote on his Facebook post. I can't pinpoint the timing exactly, but it must not have been longer than a handful of days after his death that the dreams began. I likely had the same recurring dream a dozen times and would awaken in a fit of hysteria. In the dreams, we were always in an empty room sitting crisscross on the floor facing each other. In the dream, my conscious mind knew he was gone and I would be in hysterics, hugging him, kissing him, cherishing the stolen time. He would try to calm me and ask me why I was so upset. I'm right here, Bree. What's wrong? You have to stop this. Please tell me what is the matter. He didn't know. I began researching sudden death and remember reading that often the spirit of a person who experiences an unexpected death is confused when transitioning over, particularly so for those who die young. 
I read that spirits will often reach out to those closest to them seeking clarity in the confusion. Remember, I remember making the conscious decision to give him the clarity he sought, no matter how hard he needed me. That night, the dream came again, and we were sitting in the room facing each other in an embrace, except this time he was not speaking. I was in hysterics, and he took my face in his hands, and he said, I understand now. It's okay. I know where I am, and I understand why you are upset. Please don't be upset. I promise I'm okay. I can still hear his voice saying these words so clearly. It had started to become more clear to me that these were not just my dreams, that he was spiritually present during them. I have dozens of stories of him reaching out to me from the past eight years, but this last one I'll tell is still perhaps the most jarring. I, like most, question the validity of mediums for the majority of my life. John's mom visited many after his death, and she would tell me about her experiences, tell me the messages John would share for me. I longed for these messages where he told me he would be okay and how much he loved me, but something told me that I didn't have the capacity to hear them firsthand. I knew at the time that the pain would be too great. I spent every waking moment just trying to stay alive through the hurt, and I needed simplicity in the chaos. Connecting to John so directly would have meant he wasn't really gone. How was I supposed to process his death if he wasn't really gone? The thought overwhelmed me, and I felt that even though I knew he was still with me, the ability to communicate in such an earthly way overwhelmed me immensely. John's mom and I spoke on the phone daily for nearly a year, so this particular phone call, six months after the accident, didn't come as a surprise. I knew she was having a reading that day and was eager to hear what he shared. Her voice was trembling when I answered. She told me the reading was unremarkable and he hadn't shared anything out of the ordinary until the very end. The medium told her that John was showing her a particular item, a peculiar item, pardon me, the medium, uh, John was showing the medium a peculiar item and said he had a message for the person who had this item of his. Before telling her what the item was, the medium said this, quote, he isn't telling me who this person is, but he wants me to tell you that he loves her so much. He wants nothing but for her to be happy and that she was the most cherished thing in his life. His mother began to cry as she told me this and then said, quote, honey, the medium told me that he wanted you to share that message with the person who has his wallet. Oh, Jesus Christ. Oh, I got chills. Oh, OK. Let me take a chills break real quick. Let me. T- I've still got the chills. One sec. This moment solidified it all. John had been trying to communicate with me for months and I couldn't fully allow it. The pain was too raw. And though he, I knew he was sending me messages, I would continue to only really halfway believe their authenticity. Writing them off as coincidence or as, there's never coincidences by the way, or as things I wanted to see or feel that weren't really there. He needed to prove that it was real. I confessed to his mom and she told me she knew the message was for me but was confused because we never found his wallet. We shared a good healing laugh together after I confessed. She understood why I I lied and we chuckled together because it was so John to do something so mischievous. (laughs) He was always calling me on my bullshit. 
Eight years have passed since his death, and I have just recently felt ready to see a medium. I've been in love and had serious relationships since John's death, and the complexity of communicating with him while I am in love with someone else has also terrified me. After my recent studies, I understand more deeply now that communication with a lost one, loved one isn't about the nature of the earthly relationship you shared, but about the infinite interconnectedness of two souls who shared something beautiful. Oh, Christ, that's so pretty. With much gratitude for your willingness to share your learning and for always sharing your joy and pain with your fans. A loyal fucker, Bree. Oh, give me a second, y'all. Give me a second, y'all. I gotta go cry. Well, that was goddamn beautiful. Jesus Christ. Okay, let me read another one. There's a bunch. I'll keep this under an hour. These are such beautiful stories. I'm gonna get through this. Okay. Hiya. I don't really think I've ever had a personal story to tell about signs, but after listening to your latest episode today and after starting the Laura Lynn Jackson book Signs this afternoon, it was all just in time for me to catch my grandmother's contact. Oh, this is so exciting, y'all. It's a long story, but I won't apologize for it. Just a heads up. Haha. Cool. Yesterday and today, I got all caught up on the voices in our heads. Oh my God. Thank you, girl. This afternoon, I started the Laurel and Jackson book Signs and was listening to it on my drive. Ooh, when you drive, you're kind of like in this automatic state, you know? You know how you can like drive somewhere? I've said this before, but I'll say it again. You could drive somewhere and then not really remember the drive. It's because you're kind of in a trance. And that spirits, whatever, whatever you want to say, dead loved ones, death isn't real, but you know, loved ones, can communicate with you while you're driving is a really, or while you're cleaning or doing something kind of automatic. So just want to put that out there. Anyway, I realized soon that Signs was her second book. And I remember thinking maybe I should listen to her first book. But something told me to just stick with this one for now because maybe there was a reason I was listening to it now. The concept of asking for signs and being open to them makes me kind of scared because I worry about getting swept up in all the signs and that I may fall into insanity and no longer be able to be rational. But I try to remind myself that what happens happens for a positive reason and that I needed to just trust the universe. Good for you. So this evening on my drive, right before I turned the book back on, I decided to intentionally ask for a sign saying, quote, all right, spirit guide, angel or whomever is around me. Give me a sign. But it's got to be a really obvious sign or else I won't believe it. You know, it will be a great sign clearing up the acne on my forehead. I would really believe that sign. LOL. That's so funny. (laughs) That's so funny. I fucking have said that, too. I'm like, can you just get rid of my zits, please? How about a sign that helps on multiple levels? How about a sign that kills a couple birds with one stone? Obviously, I was making jokes to satisfy my discomfort, I fear. But I had no idea what was coming. Then, not only 20 minutes later, I started thinking about my grandmother Mimi. Honestly, I was probably just thinking about all the people I've known that have passed away and who could possibly be on the other side guiding me. She passed away when I was a kid, so I wasn't really uh, so it wasn't really like she was recently gone. Anyway, while I was thinking of her, I remembered how my dad used to tell me that I look like her, his mom. And then I remembered the fact that she believed in spirituality or at least didn't have common religious beliefs. Then as I'm pulling into my parents' driveway, as I'm thinking about her and about asking my dad, a man that refuses to talk about emotions and feelings, did Fox News kidnap him too? About her, uh, my car starts to make this scraping noise. I immediately recognized the sound because it made the same sound yesterday, too. 
like there was a piece of metal being dragged by my car. When it had happened yesterday, I called my dad and asked him to come outside and check it. But as soon as he came outside, it stopped. I chalked this up to the universe playing with me and I didn't think much of it until it happened again today when I was pulling into my parents' driveway thinking about talking to my dad about his mom. So I took that sign as a sign. I took that sound as a sign and firmly decided to go inside and ask my dad about her. So I go inside into the living room where my parents are watching TV and I ask them to pause it so I can talk to them about this feeling or knowing that I was experiencing. And as soon as I ask that, Our house phone rings. Yes, we still have a house line. Good for you. My dad gets up, seemingly annoyed, and picks up the phone. I get a glimpse of the caller ID, and I swear I saw the name Johnson. I'm confused by my dad's annoyance with the call and ask to see the phone, but he's too caught up in his frustration and walks away from me scrolling through the phone log. My mom then says, they've called 11 times in the last half hour. Uh, That's weird. That's a lot of times to call in such a little time. Oh, yeah. Oh, I don't know if you got to this part in the Laurel and Jackson books, but spirits can totally use cell phones and phones, by the way. They'll just call from numbers that you call the number back and it's not in service. I haven't read this email in full. I'm reading it for on the first time on this mic. So but I just want to throw that out there. My mom also said that the voice sounded like an old man. Oh, wow. There's a It was an actual voice at the end of the line. An old man, but almost robotic sounding and that she couldn't understand who he was asking for. I turned to my dad and and insisted he give me the phone so I could look at the caller ID. Yep, definitely said Johnson. So what's so significant about Johnson? Well, my dad has four siblings. He's one of five boys and they all got along really well. I'm assuming their bond was formed as a way to help one another survive the emotional trauma of losing both parents at a young age. My dad's dad passed away when my dad was uh, only 18. My dad's mom, Mimi, passed away in 99 when my dad was a little over 30. I was five. So seeing as though the five brothers lost their parents, I'd say it's pretty natural that they developed a close bond with each other. They strengthened this bond by using weird humor and inside jokes as a way to connect with each other. One of these jokes... We, uh, which is weird things they do, she had that in parentheses, is that they greet each other with the name Johnson. So it's just my dad and his four brothers shaking one another's hand, saying, Johnson, firm handshake, Johnson, firm handshake, Johnson, firm handshake, etc. <laughs> That's funny. In fact, my sister and I were just reminiscing the other day about how my dad and his brothers do this weird greeting ritual, LOL. So the fact that this caller ID was showing up as Johnson right after I said I was going to talk to my dad about his mom really spoke to me as a sign. Yeah, no shit, that's awesome. I tried to say this to my dad, but he doesn't like feelings, and he left to go upstairs, so I just sat there and talked to my mom about it all. I asked her if she believed that my grandmother was here and trying to communicate with us, as she she does believe in this stuff. Before she could answer, I asked, what if the caller stops calling now, now that I'm home and communicating the signs? Would you believe that it was a sign then? And I could just tell by her face that she would. And why wouldn't she? I had not I had no idea if the caller would call back. So it's not like I could have made it true, uh, made it be true. I just put my faith into it and believed that they wouldn't call back. And I stated that out loud. Then my dad came back into the room and I briefly explained how I'm listening to this book and watching this Netflix series about life and death and how I feel like Mimi is trying to contact us and that the caller was actually her. And then as soon as I'm saying this, 
The phone rings again. Immediately, I'm thinking, damn it, this disproves everything. I pick up the phone and I look at the caller ID, but it just says incoming call and then stops after just one ring, never showing any caller ID. I took that to mean that she, my Mimi, was there and that she called again without the caller ID just as a way to validate the sign I had mentioned to my mom, while perhaps also encouraging me to continue trying to convince my dad of it. At this point, my mom gets up to go to the bathroom and I just start trying to think about the significance of the number 11 could have. Reminder, the caller ID Johnson uh, called 11 times in the last half hour. Oh, right, 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 right. Numbers are important too, y'all. Pay attention to this. Hold on, I got to take a, a drink of water because I'm sad and my throat's dry. So I turned to my dad and asked, when was Mimi's birthday? When did she pass? And wouldn't you fucking know it? My dad goes, I'm not sure. Your mother should know. But I think it was today or tomorrow, 1999. What? Are you serious? I had no idea the anniversary of her passing was this coming up, was coming up, especially not so soon. That's fucking crazy. I go to confirm with my mom and yep, tomorrow is in fact the anniversary of her passing. And the number 11, I'm not sure if it, Uh, I'm not sure if it could be her birthday. I haven't gotten to find that out yet as my parents went to bed. But I did remember shortly after that convo that 11 was my soccer number and my lucky number. So I don't know, man. But this feels like some real sign shit. If it wasn't for the voices in my head and for you talking about this stuff, I don't think I would ever have started listening to the signs book. And I might have missed my grandmother's contact. So thank you, Christina. Best Rachel. Well, that's fun. Oh, and she sent me a picture of her dad and all of his brothers. And they are all copies of each other. Oh, my God. They look so much alike. Oh, they're all so cute. Well, that looks like a functioning, nice, healthy family. I'm not getting triggered. You are. Oh, there's the firefighters. <sighs> That's a great story. We got more. We got more. It's only 48 minutes. I'm going to go to an hour. Um, this is a shorter one. Hi, Christina and Kevin. Kevin, this this person says hi. First of all, I've been loving all your podcasts, and I'm so proud of you for all the personal growth I've seen from you. Thank you so much. This isn't a story that happened to me directly, but I work at a hospice in a rural part of my state and definitely have a story for you. Our hospice home is a ranch-style facility with private rooms that each have glass double doors that overlook a farm that has horses board, uh, horse boarding facility. Oh, I fucking love horses. They're mystical as hell and just fun to look at. I do not work directly. Oh, shout out to the girl riding the horse, by the way. I do not work directly at this location due to COVID. But according to one of our nurses, every single time a patient is about to pass around 10 minutes before all of the horses from this farm gather as close as they can to the fence across from the patient's room and look directly into the door of the room. Holy shit. That's crazy. This happens every single time and has been for years <gasps> can you get them to record it and send it to me i want to see it what makes this even crazier is that these horses don't even don't live at this farm uh don't live at this farm for a long time where this ritual could be explained from knowing what is happening for many years and maybe gaining some sort of instinct these horses come to this farm <coughs> And are transferred on a weekly basis from all parts of the country. Yet they still all instinctively know when someone at our hospice is about to pass. And they gather in front of them to bring them peace, comfort, I'm still unsure. I'm not a religious person at all, but after hearing this story, I do know that there is something magical or mystical about life and death. 
This is why I've been really enjoying the emails you've been reading the past few weeks and hope you share this one as well. And I goddamn will, Riley. Thanks, girl. Yo, can you get... That is wild. Oh, it's so cool. Oh, that's so cool. That's so cool. Let's read this one. I love these emails. Makes me forget why I'm sad. I just remembered again. Let me take a drink. That's the thing. I can't be sad for too long. Like it may be like two, three days max. I've never been sadder for more than three days, even no matter what happens, you know, because I'm like, mm, this sadness stinks. P.U. I want to be happy. So I'll be OK. Let's just keep reading these emails. Christina, I have been listening to you since day one. I love hearing your raw bipolar mom stories. That's good. I'm glad someone enjoys them. So many hit home. I, too, grew up in a crazy house. Mom is bipolar. Dad was an anxious, functioning alcoholic. My older sister also suffers from anxiety and an eating disorder. And then there's my younger sister. She was the all-star with bipolar disorder, multiple drug problems as a teen mom, and blames me for most of her issues. Woo! Who's horny? There's uh, there's me, a semi-well-adjusted human, slight eating disorder, well, that's not bad, and have held in so many of my wounds growing up with so much chaos. So much of life I felt ashamed of my family and have kept much of my childhood to myself. All of my family is super smart and successful, happily married with kids. And then there's me, the normal one, in an okay career with one divorce, followed by awful relationships most of my life. Eh. <laughs> I love that you said, eh. eh, what are you going to do, girl? Hey, you just got to laugh at this shit. You know what I'm saying? Because if you don't laugh, you'll cry. Uh, okay. Listening to you be raw uh, uh, and open has given me so much courage to talk to my friends and now my amazing boyfriend about my dis- difficult past. Oh, yay. I'm so glad. You normalize not being normal and showing me it's okay not to be all shiny clean. So really, thank you. Well, you're welcome, girl. You know, I'm just doing what I can. <laughs> Oh, I'm so sad. Okay. Okay, on to my connection to my dad. And uh, on to my story. My uh, my connection to my dad and I were super close. Okay, so my dad suddenly passed away when I was 22. I'm now 35, still grieving his loss. He had his problems, but he was an amazing dad, and I always felt a deep bond with him because I cared for him during his short battle with cancer. One night a couple years back, I was sobbing on my way home from a benefit I attended with friends. At the benefit, I was texting the guy I had been seeing the whole time. He was again blowing me off, telling, uh, making some excuses to break plans again. I was particularly upset over the guy, but just my luck and love in general. Yeah, I hear you, huh? I recently broke off an engagement and moved from the East Coast, Virginia Beach. Oh, hell yeah, Virginia Beach. I used to live there. Back to San Diego, my second home. I was desperately looking for love, and I often talked to my dad when my heart was hurt or felt alone. This particular night, I sobbed the whole drive home, asking my dad why wasn't I enough when it was my turn to have, when was my turn to have my happily ever after? I got home and sat in my car a couple extra minutes to wipe the mascara running down my face. I told my dad to just tell me you're, you're still here with me. Tell me I'm on the right path. I walked up to my apartment and unlocked the door. I flipped on the lights and the wall uh, and the wall adjacent to my couch. I looked down to slip my shoes off and found the picture of me and my dad. 
It fell off the wall where it hung. It had hung over the couch. It was a picture of me when I was little, smiling in his lap. I knew he was telling me to smile and that he had always been with me. To this day, I always get a sign from him when I ask. Okay, one more story, only because I know that this afterlife is real and my dad is my guardian angel. My new, amazing, and well-adjusted boyfriend. Girl, good for fucking you. Isn't that great? That's what I want in a boyfriend. Amazing and well-adjusted. We can hope, huh? My new and amazing and well-adjusted boyfriend and I met in November, and we knew, we just knew, neither of us wanted to waste a minute playing games, and we decided to move in together after a couple months of dating. It was so strange how I felt the decision so impulsively and without much thought or feedback from friends. I packed and sold off what I could. When I emptied my apartment, I stopped to look around. And it hit me. Was I really doing this? I had just gotten out of a very dysfunctional relationship in April. And it felt like I needed more time or I I was rushing into another mistake. I thought maybe I was rushing to leave the apartment I shared with my ex. Again, I talked to my dad and begged him for a sign that it was the right choice. I had a few last things that I had to donate or toss and being over the moving process, I had a friend come over and help me put out the last of my things in my alley. The middle of this in the middle of this purge, a middle aged guy drove by my uh, drove by in a truck, obviously dumpster diving. Oh, I used to do that with my mom. Shit. In broken English, he stopped next to me and pointed to my stuff and said, free for me. I said, yes. I also told him I had a great dresser inside, and if he wanted it, I could help him load it. He agreed happily. I'm so grateful to get this last piece out. When I was done helping him load all the bad memories of my narcissistic ex, he asked me my name in Spanish. I told him Anna, and I asked what his name was. His name was was Ramiro, my dad's name. I got chills. It was dad. He gave me a sign. Needless to say, my decision to take a chance in love has been the best thing I've ever done. And every day I realize more and more I'm with exactly the type of man my dad would have wanted for me. Oh, Christ almighty. That's beautiful. Woo, I got to take another drink, y'all. Oh, that is just goddamn beautiful. Fuck. I want to read one more. Which one do I want to read? Premonitions in my dreams. Thanks for being here, (laughs) y'all. All right. Last email. Uh, The subject line is, I have premonitions in my dreams. Sweet. I got it. I got it. You know, I've been fucking, I have a dream journal because every book I'm reading is like, write down your dream journal. At your dreams and I have it next to my bed and I've re- I've been dreaming but lately I've been dreaming and then the second I wake up I forget it <laughs> or what I've been doing and this is weird I don't know if anybody this happens to anybody else I'll wake up at like 10 a.m run upstairs usually you know Kevin sleeps with me obviously and I you know when I wake up wake up I I wake up you know he's so fucking cute in the morning and he makes my morning so much better because he'll lick me and be playful and cute and coy and I'll take him upstairs and we go for a walk and I feed him and all that stuff but but lately I've been getting up at 10 which is early I'm depressed so I've been sleeping till one and I knew you know I could sleep in later but I got up at 10 flew out of the bed ate a piece of candy in my fridge and then ran back down and went to sleep and I knew I had a dream but I forgot what it was and I was like why am I just getting up and scarfing food specifically sugary ass food it's interesting 
If anybody has any hints or clues, email your girl. The voices in our head podcast at gmail.com. Okay, last email, y'all. Hi, Christina. Happy belated birthday. I know much of you love your birthday, so I hope you were able to celebrate and enjoy your special day. Well, thank you, girl, so much. I was. I wanted to write you because I have dreams the night before people die, predicting that they will die. Sometimes they are very clear, but sometimes it feels like a code I have to crack. Ooh, that's a superpower. I don't know that I want, but, you know, good to know, I guess. The first instance that I specifically remember is when I was probably 18. I know it happened before then, but my mom and my mom because my mom remembers me telling her about my dreams. But this is the first one that I remember. I had a dream that I was being pulled on a tube behind a boat with my brother's cat Loki. We hit a wave and the cat bounced off and into the water. I woke up in a funk and told my mom that I had a weird dream that Loki died. She told me to shake it off. The next morning, my mom came into my bedroom early to wake me up. She said she didn't want me to be scared, but she wanted to let me know that Loki died the day before. He was run over by a car. My whole family thought it was weird because they knew I had the dream, but they but they made jokes. I killed Loki in my dream. Oh, that's fun and supportive, isn't it? Cool. Way to way to have a good attitude about your powers, huh? <laughs> Bitch, you killed Loki. You killed our cat. Well, I didn't mean to. God damn it. A few years later, I had a dream that my ex-stepdad was in a car crash with his sister-in-law. In my dream, I had to go check on him, and he says that he is okay and that I need to check on his sister-in-law to make sure she is okay. My ex-stepdad is an alcoholic, so I was truly worried that maybe he got into a car crash, so I called my mom. She was scared because she knew that these dreams have come true before. Okay, so you didn't kill the cat. That's good. Acknowledge that. Sorry, I'm a little I'm a little projecty today, huh? She checked in on him and said that he was okay and that he appreciated us reaching out to check because he knows about my dreams too. Oh, shit. My current stepdad heard about my dream and he got a weird feeling. So he checked in on his sister who was sick at the time. She ended up passing away the next day. He said that he was thankful that I told them about the dream because it gave him the chance to check in with his sister one last time before she died. So my dream was close to being right. It was just the wrong stepdad. That's fucking wild. The day before. Last example, I'm a survivor of domestic abuse and I now have PTSD, which leads me to having nightmares of being attacked. Oh, so sorry. Last September, I had a dream that my ex-boyfriend was chasing me around the house with a gun and he was trying to kill me. I thought it was just a normal PTSD dream, but that day my cousin was shot and killed by her boyfriend. Fuck. Ah, fuck. They weren't, they weren't any clues there weren't any clues leading me to think to check in on her, but I still think that this was a premonition. Yeah, girl, it was. My family likes to say that this is a special gift I have so that I can help others in the family prepare for grief and loss. It's a lot of pressure. Yeah, no shit. Because I don't always know the difference between a premonition and just a bad dream. I hope to do some work that will help me seek clarity. Luckily, my therapist believes in this stuff and has helped me work through some of my anxiety that goes along with the dreams. Fuck. 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 Wait, I want to read one more. Last one. This one's long, but get over it, okay? <laughs> Just talking to myself at this point. Hi, Christina. I have a great story for you involving the non-physical world. Oh, yeah. I love this email. You guys are also, you guys are really good writers, and I fucking appreciate that. I just want to put that out there. 
Uh, I have a great story for you involving the non-physical world. Have you ever heard of biofield tuning? I have not, but I did look it up after I read this email. It's a type of sound therapy. Oh, yeah, and I also ordered tuning rods on Amazon. Should have not ordered them on Amazon. I should have ordered them on Etsy. But I'm going to be honest in hopes that you get them from Etsy and a private business. It's a type of sound therapy slash energy work I was introduced to by a former friend. Bear with me as I give some context to my first story. About two years ago, I met this guy on Tinder. His bio had a bunch of holistic healing type of information in it. I, uh, I'm really into healing, uh, healthy eating, yoga, meditation, beliefs and lifestyle practices that revolve around wellness and spirituality. So I was intrigued and swiped. We met and instantly had connected and would spend the next few months spending time in nature, talking about a plethora of topics revolving around these topics. Oh, that sounds nice. Gotta get back on those dating apps. You girl lonely as hell. We talked about this, about the corruption of the food and pharmaceutical industries, how we could take matters into our own hands and choose to live, eat, be more whole and healthy despite this system. Oh, that sounds like a goddamn nice conversation now, doesn't it? How we need to be conscious creatures and put our attention and energy into paths of pleasure, creation, and being. As consciousness, we need to understand how to not attach to our thoughts, to our belongings, to anything we have in this physical world. How we need to understand our thoughts and feelings and perceptions do not actually define us. In fact, they are not us at all. Well, that's good to know. We are merely being. Existence and everything else is temporary and is just something you experience. For example, you are not your anger. You just experience it. Well, thank you for saying that. I needed to hear that. Long short story short. Short. <laughs> short. I learned a lot from this guy and my perception of existence expanded dramatically after spending time with him. This guy was a healer in training in a way when we met. Years before, he was exploring psychedelics and came into a sort of psychosis. His family, being conservative and scared, sent him to a psychiatric facility where he was put on antipsychotic medication. He tells me in hindsight the psychosis was not a dangerous state. It seemed like something had ripped open and his awareness was free to move, not only in his body, but throughout everything. In fact, his awareness was everywhere at once. Oh, that's what Laurel and Jackson says. The spirit. Wow, that's crazy. He could suddenly experience dimensions beyond what normal humans experience every day. Oh, I want to do that. He tells me that this state was incredible and he was indeed it was indeed a lot to experience for the first time. He understands why his family was scared and put him towards the psychiatric care. But it was a terrible mistake. The antipsychotic drugs put a heavy weight, a ceiling, he said, on his consciousness. He was certain the drugs actually damaged his brain's ability to connect to his consciousness in the same way, which I could totally see. For example, antibiotics do kill the bad bacteria that's causing an infection, but it also kills your good gut bacteria that your body needs for this natural ecosystem. Oh, that reminds me. I got to take a probiotic, y'all. I got to take that probiotic. <laughs> Everything felt heavy and gray and blurry, but he knew there was clarity beyond this fog. After his time in the facility, he spent the next couple of years healing, taking herbs and supplements, eating the healthiest diet, doing brain exercises. He was serious about getting back in order so his consciousness could flow freely. 
I love that man with a fucking work ethic. That's beautiful to hear. He learned about biofield tuning, a practice using tuning forks to comb sound waves over and through your body, including the energetic body and physical body. There is a lot of science that goes into this practice that I do not know the details of in regards to where certain energies exist, the relaxation chakras, the specific frequencies, etc. It also sounds like it relates to singing bowls. Yeah. Yeah, because y'all, a lot of this woo-woo shit is scientifically proven, okay? An energy field can be measured. And Joe Dispenza, who's a neurochemist, neurobiologist, will measure the energy field of an audience after they've done a three-day uh, retreat, and it's through the roof. So it's like, well, there's a number that you can go, yep, that helped. But what I recall, your energy field extends a certain amount of distance away from you. So the tuning practitioner starts far away and slowly moves closer and closer during the session, pinging into the tuning fork and waving it around in a certain way, I would think. This sound, I bought a tuning fork. I don't even know what I'm fucking doing with it. Maybe I'll just ask, ask a friend to tune me or something. I just buy shit on Amazon. I'm like, I need this because I'm trying to fill a void with a lack of love in it. The sound waves supposedly clear your energy, smooth out any kinks. The tuning forks work outward in, starting with smoothing out older kinks in the fields around you and moving closer and closer in. Apparently, this practice can be a lot for a person to handle physically. A lot of people cry, get dizzy, get tingly, that kind of thing. So you have, an, uh, so you have to ease into sessions. Now to the magic. This guy had learned biofield tuning and wanted to give me a session before we parted ways. Our relationship was short-lived and temporary as I was moving. He had a massage table, which I laid down on my back. He assessed the alignment of my chakras using a quartz stone and chose a couple to focus on, since you only want to do a little at a time and not dive too deep, perhaps driving you into psychosis like he did with LSD. Hey. He began the practice, ringing a tuning fork from far away, combing through the waves. As he moved closer through the practice, he would ask me questions and say out loud what he was feeling because all healers can feel deeply and they do what they do because they feel things we may not. After 10 or 15 minutes, he was a foot or two away. The vibration started to make me feel really tingly. So tingly. Tingly beyond everything I've ever felt. I've felt tingles during yoga and meditation. So have I. It's crazy. My head tingles. I felt tingles when I have connecting connect connecting thoughts i believe the feeling of tingly in your body is usually the universe telling you something maybe it's give this part of your body attention it needs stretching or relief or maybe the tingly shoots through my body when i have a realization that is profound i felt tingly during meditation when i tap into that empty headspace and feel present girl me too by the time he was right by me my whole body felt like it was vibrating beyond anything I could imagine. And I was laughing hysterically and tears were flooding down my face. It felt so good. Oh, I've gotten there before. It does feel really good. I couldn't believe the sensations I was receiving. Then without my expectation in the slightest, I started to feel a pair of hands creep up to the base of my head and slowly but steadily massaging my scalp. I opened my eyes and saw my friend's hands waving the tuning fork in the air. His other hand also raised up like a conductor. I knew instantly I was feeling something else. Someone else massaged my head during this crazy experience. I exclaimed that someone was massaging my head out loud as tears and drool and involuntary laughter kept oozing out of me. <laughs> my friend acknowledged this and said, oh, how sweet. 
I wanted to keep still, afraid if I moved, the hands would disappear. But as I made this gen- the gentle movements to see, the hands remained firm and continued to massage my head. I decided to enjoy the experience, the last few minutes, until the tuning fork stopped playing and the hands slowly uncradled my head and left. I don't know whose hands were massaging my head that day. I'd like to think it was my personal spirit guide or angel, but part of me also suspects that they were my own hands from another dimension or something. Which sounds strange, but the thought came to me, so I cannot totally dismiss it. But I don't dwell too hard on the unknown, because what I felt was incredibly real and undeniably magic. Much love, Cat. <clears throat> well, goddamn, and that's a good lesson. That's a good note to end on. Not don't dwell on this shit. And also intuition. When we're talking about like intuition or a download or something, which every person on this planet is capable of getting. It, it's it happens with more ease than you think. I I want to I want I can't stress that enough. It's not like you have to sit still and squint your eyes so hard and like put f- force into concentrating. You just have to relax. And when thoughts pop up in your head, they're gonna do so very gently. You know, it's just gonna go in and out like a wave, just like emotions, just like the sadness that you hear oozing from my voice. It's gonna go away. It'll be fine. Right? (laughs) No, it will. It will. But stuff like intuition, it comes easily. And when I did the the past life regression, I've only done one so far, but boy, am I going to do more. All of these things and these visuals that Anastasia walked me through during this session, and everything that I I smelled things, I saw things. I didn't taste anything, but I smelled, I saw there was bright colors and I feel, oh my God, I just felt, I felt a lot, but it came with ease. It came so just gently. So if you're, if you're trying to have a mystical experience or you want to have a mystical experience or, or anything, just, just keep that in mind. You know, you just be very relaxed and smooth like butter, honey. Okay. Hey. I mean this with all my heart. Congrats on not killing yourself, guys. We got this. We're going to make it through. It's going to be great. Keep emailing me your fucking magic experiences because they give me goddamn goosebumps all over my body and I need to feel something that is not sadness. I love you all. I'll talk to you next Wednesday.